is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, Stephen Schubert with the Country Hour coming from our Alice Springs studio all this week and next. And I can tell you in the Red Centre it's feeling a bit more like the top end again today. 52% humidity in Alice Springs. We will be doing a little bit of a wrap around the centre and get some rainfall figures later in the program. We'll also hear from one of the Territory's youngest bull breeders who's just made his first ever sale. Yeah, so I've recently sold um, a few bulls of mine up north on the top end, which is pretty exciting for me. So it'll be good to get my um, bulls and genetics out there and hopefully they do a good job for the purchasers. And we will also bring you an amazing survival story for you a little later in the program. How did a Kelpie survive 250 kilometres, three hours, in the engine bay of a truck? When the boys from the service bay boys tilted the cab over, they found the dog happy as anything. He was wagging his tail. Um, They got him down straight away and he started walking. That amazing story and plenty more coming up on the Country Hour. But we, but we start today in the cattle industry, where the live export price has hit another record high, with quotes out for feeder steers to Indonesia ex Darwin for over $5 a kilo. While it's not unusual to see a wet season price bump, but this rise has sent the market into unprecedented heights. Catherine Livestock agent Wayne Bean spoke to Dan Fitzgerald about the red-hot live X prices. Feeder steers, uh, you know, have edged towards uh, $5 and a little bit north. Uh, you know, that gets back to the quality of the cattle and the size of the the offering. Um, obviously, if you've got a big line, you're going to get a bit more. If you've only got a few, well, you're not going to get as much. Uh, just before Christmas, we heard there were steers selling for around $4.70. Uh, what's behind this big jump? Well, historically, you know, our prices uh, are always high, you know, from, you know, mid-December right through till the end of February. Um, you could look at any year in the past 10, uh, regardless of what the Australian dollar's doing or the weather's doing. Um, exports out of Darwin are always going to be at their uh, premium at that time of the year. We saw a fair few cattle go out of Darwin in that December period, uh, buyers trying to get cattle in the lead-up to Ramadan. Is it, there still is a demand around in January? There is. The um, biggest problem is availability. Um, you know, an exporter is not going to uh, pull on a ship unless he knows that... Um, <clears throat> You know, he's got a good chance of filling it, so he needs a pretty good start. You know, a lot of our ships are what we call G-class, um, take up to 3,200 feeders. And um, I guess if, if 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 an exporter can get, you know, a couple of thousand, well, he'll, um, he'll battle on and try and get the rest to fill the ship. But uh, those sort of numbers uh, just aren't out there in the market at the moment. Um, you know, we've had a bit of rain. That stops a lot of people uh, delivering. Um, so it's only those guys that, uh, you know, on the steps of the bitumen that can really deliver. And they generally don't have big numbers. You've just locked in a few cattle yourself. Did you have to make many phone calls to, to try and find some? No. 
nobody needs to um, make too many phone calls. Um, it's, it's just like I said before, um, you know, if there's someone that's got a fair number of cattle well, to give the exporter a start, well, um, you know, they'll go out there and pick up all the little mobs. But um, you need a fair old number to start with. If somebody told you a few years ago that feeder steers would be getting over $5 a kilo, what would you have said? Well, I probably would have hung my head and thought they were crazy. <laughs> but uh, it just goes to show, uh, never say never. And um, I think everyone, you know, even the smartest guys in the industry with the, with the best vision um, couldn't have foresee uh, these prices where they're at. Especially, you know, through such a troubled time of this pandemic, but it just goes to show, um, yeah, anything's possible. How long do you think Indonesia can keep paying these type of prices? Well, as long as uh, uh, you know they haven't got an alternative, they're going to have to. Um, but when things get like this, they people usually change the way they do things. Um, you know, the system changes, they, they look for other alternatives. So if it goes on for too long, um, you know, they could be looking at other countries, changing policy, maybe to get cattle into Indonesia from elsewhere. Um, we've seen those things happen before. Um, it's already happening in Vietnam, you know, where Brazil's dumped a lot of cattle in Vietnam and obviously delivering them cheaper than they can from Australia. Obviously, Vietnam has different importing laws as far as disease goes, like foot and mouth and so on. Um, but there's no reason Indonesia can't change things around to adopt. So I hope it doesn't go on too long because then they will start looking for alternatives. And if producers in the Territory are looking for their own alternatives at the moment, say trucking their cattle to Queensland, can they get similar money to what they might get out of the live export trade? Well, they can and they can't. Um, there's a lot of risk with sending the cattle. Uh, a lot of the Queensland buyers are very astute. Uh, they have a broader range of markets and require, um, you know, different specifications, uh, especially with dentition. So, you know, really the Queensland guys are, you know, looking to put cattle through the feedlot or grow out to bullocks, you know, for their processing plants down there. A uh, bit different market to ours up here, which is all live exports. So they're looking for those younger, well-grown cattle, predominantly milk teeth, uh, no more than two teeth um, at a certain weight. And, um, yeah, sure, uh, if you can get them down there, um, you know, without uh, too many costs, there, there's a bit of a bonus for those types of specification cattle. Um, but, yeah, I think everyone just generally thinks that Queensland's got more money than the exporters out of Darwin, and it's it's not the case, you know, that's uh, it's only for certain types of cattle. We have been hearing that certain meatworks along the east coast are lowering their capacity or, the, or the, their kill rates at the moment because of issues with staff and, and COVID. Um, are you hearing any of that back through your channels? Yeah, we're hearing it in every industry whether it's these processing plants all across Australia, you know, whether it's South Australia, New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, <clears throat> Western Australia, everyone's having the same problem. Um, and it's not just in the processing plants of our industry, it's, it's the hospitality industry, 
it's everything. Uh, wherever you go, um, there's a huge shortage of staff. Can you um, see that having any flow-on effects back for producers here in the Territory? Oh, if it affects those other states, yeah, uh, certainly it will affect the Territory. You know, at the end of the day, there's so many things uh, that can affect uh, our markets up here. And, um, you know, it, it can be exchange rates in the dollar. Um, you know, it can be disease. It, it, it can be anything. So, yeah, anything that happens to our, those guys down there, um, especially in those processing plants, is certainly going to have an effect on us at some stage. Just in terms of prices at the moment, over $5 a kilo, that's absolute record for live export. Have we reached the peak yet? Well, um, we don't know. Um, it's as good as it, it gets. Um, and when it's this good, you don't tend to worry too much about that. Um, I mean, like I said earlier, uh, between you know the, the weeks between the middle of December and through the end of February is always predominantly our highest market anyway. So th- th- there could be a little bit of scope there. Um, you know, it just comes back to supply and demand and, and, and certainly the demand's there and the supply's not. So there's a chance it could go a little bit further north yet. Wayne Bean from Ray White Rural in Catherine. And the Federal Department of Agriculture has released some numbers about live exports in 2021. According to their figures, there were 283,461 head of cattle exported from Darwin Port last year. You're listening to the Country Hour, where it's 20 minutes to one o'clock. Let's stay in the cattle game. One of the Territory's youngest stud bull breeders has just completed his first commercial sale of bulls. Wool Weir started his own Brahmin stud on his family family's property, Amaru Station, in 2020, when he was just 20 years old. After making his first sale, he told Hugo Ricard-Bell he's pretty happy with how it all went. Yeah, so I've recently sold um, a few bulls of mine up north to um, the top end, which is pretty exciting for me. So it'll be good to get my um, bulls and genetics out there and hopefully they do a good job for the purchasers. Now, you've put a fair bit of effort into the genetics like you mentioned. Tell me a little bit about how you approach that. Yeah, so I've um, sourced a lot of my genetics over from studs over in Queensland and I think um, over there the studs are at a very high level. They've been breeding for many years and so I'm trying to get those genetics that have successfully done well through their through their program into mine to hopefully replicate some of their successes. First sale, so you've been breeding for a couple of years leading up to this. What do you look for in young bulls? So the bulls I'm trying to breed are just a good young Brahmin bull. I'm trying to go down the pole path so they got a nice pole head on them. They got good good growth weight for age and structure correct and have the ability to walk out long distance because that's what I need to do. Why do you go for poles? Um, the reason I personally go for poles is because that's the um, way I think the industry is heading. If people can buy pole bulls, I think they will because that passes it down onto the calves and as a lot of people know, when you have wieners in the yard and calves and that dehorning takes up a lot of time and puts stress and that on the animal. So if we can eliminate that factor out of our process, then it's better for us, it saves us time and energy, it's better for the cattle, they don't get set back in that. So that's the reason I'm doing it, to try and, um, yeah, get that into my genetics and hopefully into other herds as well. 
have you branched out to, or are you going to branch out to stud cows? Yes, yeah, so I've got um, I've been breeding stud cows now for the last couple of years, and at the moment I'm retaining all of them in my stud to keep get my registered cow numbers up. But yeah, in the future I may look to sell a few as I um, get extra numbers and whatnot. So yeah, it's something to look for in the future. Now it's uh, it's pretty early days for WTW Brahman stud. What are your goals? How many bulls are you looking to turn off twenty twenty two? Um, next year or this year, I mean. Hopefully I'll have around the 15 to 20 mark for sale. Um, what you got to realise is that when you sell a young bull, I like to sell them at a two-year-old. So essentially what I'm selling now are my calves from two years ago. So the calves I'm breeding now are for two years' time. So, yeah, I um, have got my cow numbers up recently. So hopefully in another couple of years' time, I'll have some larger lines for sale if all goes to plan. Now, 15 to 20 to some listeners might not seem um, as much, but to those in the stud game, there's quite a lot of selection that goes in. How big of a pool are you pulling these 15 to 20 from? Um, So probably I would have had probably to start with 20 to 25 to choose from, and then I've gradually culled that down over the process. So some I would have culled straight away as calves. For various reasons, some would have been culled at wieners and then even before I sell them, I'll run my eye over them again and make sure that I'm happy to sell them and have my name on them before I send them off. When you, What do you look for in a, in a fresh Brahmin calf, Will? Um, so when they're calves, you really look for, you just look at them to make sure there's nothing obviously wrong with them, like occasionally they can be deformed with like a slightly bent nose or something like that. Or you just get that out of your herd because that's not something you want recurring and then as they get older you look at their structure so feet legs um how they move and all that and also with bulls you look at their sheath and testicles to make sure there's no problems there or anything wrong and yeah you go from there will weir of wtw brahmins now if you want to see some photos of will's bulls you can jump on facebook and just search for wtw brahmins He's got some cracker photos of what he's offering up. If you want to uh, share your thoughts on either of those stories, tell me if you're getting uh, something north of $5 a kilo for live export steers out of the Port of Darwin, you can send me a text anytime on 0487 991057. We would love to uh, hear from you, or if you have any questions for the Weather Bureau, we'll be speaking to them uh, shortly after the 1 o'clock news. It's quarter to one, right now in the country hour, time for some Crowded House. You're listening to the Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. It's 12 minutes to one o'clock. The Northern Territory has again broken a new record in new COVID-19 cases. There were 625 cases of COVID recorded in the Territory in the last 24 hours to 8pm last night. There are 43 patients in hospital, 27 of those are classified as acute and one patient is in intensive care. Here's a bit of what Health Minister Natasha, Natasha Files told the media a short time ago. This is a large jump on the figures that were provided yesterday, that we had yesterday with COVID, but we did uh, in a way expect this. Uh, 
We do see uh, around earlier in the week uh, an increase in the numbers as weekend we have less testing which reports into the Monday. Uh, in terms of the average case numbers, though, it's important to remind Territorians that if you put yesterday and today's figures together, you're still seeing around 450 cases today, and that's been about our 14-day average. So an increase today, but when you put it with the numbers we saw yesterday, uh, it's not greatly concerning to us. But of course, any case of COVID-19 uh, can be serious. Health Minister Natasha Files giving a COVID update a short time ago. You can catch the full press conference on the ABC Darwin and ABC Alice Springs Facebook pages. Well, how are you going getting your basic supplies? Have you been able to get any mints from a supermarket in the Territory lately? And if not, you might be asking yourself, has the federal government pulled its weight in dealing with COVID-related supply chain issues? All sorts of supply chains are in disarray at the moment, whether that be red meat, pork, poultry, dairy or fruit and veg. And that's because so many workers in those sectors either have COVID or are isolating because they're close contacts. Rural reporter Angus Verley spoke with Federal Ag Minister David Littleproud about what's gone wrong. Well, uh, there's no playbook for this uh, and we're working as a federation and so I think everyone likes to point the finger at Big Bad Canberra because it's nice and easy but we all have a role and every state's tried to do something a little bit differently. I'm from Queensland, this is the first time I've been allowed into your state for a couple of years so it's good to be in Victoria, not necessarily because Victoria didn't want me but it's because I was, I was treated as a pariah when I went back to my home. Uh, so uh, we've been in partnership with the states and they've made the public health orders, not the federal government and we've tried to work with them but not having consistency across the country has made it difficult and I think we're, we're now hopefully at the final stages of this pandemic and I think finally we're starting to see National Cabinet get some coordination around uh, their measures uh, of what we're doing particularly on the eastern seaboard and that's a good thing uh, and they've gone from asking to have PCR tests to now rats uh, and we've got 200 million of them coming uh, we as part of our proportion is around 70 million but they all go to aged care so the states can also uh, work not only on getting rats in but they can also work in terms of their health orders around close contacts. And I think we've seen some good moves from National Cabinet in loosening that. We've got some more pragmatic decisions than we had previously from our Chief Health Officers and Premiers around this. And so I think, yes, we have got some challenges at the moment on supply chains, but we're, we are getting to the point where we are dealing with those, not just through having rat tests that will come in the country, but more pragmatic cl uh, close contact. Uh, and also the public can play a role in this. Do not go and panic buy. You are exacerbating the problem. Every industry is saying now that a lot of this does hinge though on the availability of those rapid antigen tests. There's now that provision where close contacts can go back to work in the food production sector. Uh, but that's only if they can do a rat every day for five days and have negative results. Uh, that's all well and good, but no good if they can't access those tests. So that's, that's a huge problem, isn't it? Well, it is, but what the previous problem was before the states decided they'd accept rats was that they, they weren't prepared to use them because they didn't believe that they were accurate enough. And then at National Cabinet just before Christmas, uh, the Premiers all decided, well, we'll move away from PCRs to rats. So they made the decision on a dime, and what we're trying to do is work with them to get the rats in as quickly as we can, uh, to be able to distribute them across the country. Uh, but when public health orders change overnight, um, you just can't expect things to be there overnight. We needed time to be able to do this. And, and it's not um, we're not shirking our responsibility. We're saying we had to work in partnership. So there's a lot of supply coming in, but I just think we can continue to look at the, the need for the use of those and the quantity of use, and that would mean uh, a more pragmatic understanding of how we deal with COVID moving forward. 
So when is the food production sector here going to get them? Because they're all saying they needed needed them weeks ago. Yeah, well, look, I can't, I'm not going to sit here and say they're here tomorrow because I'm not privy to that information, but I do understand between the states who have put in considerable orders, who, who are the ones that are putting them across the community. We're putting ours uh, as a federal government into aged care. That was the agreement at National Cabinet. And my understanding that they are a matter of weeks away, uh, but obviously there is demand right around the world for these products. And that's the challenge we've had is when uh, premiers and chief health officers shifted quickly from PCR to rats um, we, we had to make sure that we were able to get these as quick as we can and, and we're part of a global community and getting these are taking time and we apologise for that but there's not much we can do about it, these are the times we're living in A related issue is the ag visa now the, the delivery of that was announced I think September 30 last year and you said at the time there'd be workers from overseas here under that visa before Christmas we're now uh, almost a month on from Christmas, there are no workers here so what's gone wrong? The AWU the AWU has personally gone to every embassy uh, that we were negotiating with and telling ambassadors not to let their citizens come to Australia because Australian farmers would exploit their citizens. The most disgraceful act I have seen in my political career to, to deliberately sabotage a program that is there to help Australian farmers, to demonise Australian farmers, that they are some sort of exploitation racket that goes right across Australian agriculture in a generalised way is disgraceful. Now, yes, there is a small cohort in agriculture that has done the wrong thing. We are weeding them out with more regulation and higher penalties, but the AWU, for some reason, has just taken this dislike to Australian farmers and for them to personally go and meet with ambassadors and, and tell them not to not to send their citizens here, is disgraceful. Does the AWU really have that power? Does their voice carry that authority that it's been enough that you're saying that they've scuppered the scheme to this point? Well, they've proudly said it. Daniel Walton is on the record as saying he'll continue to do it to anyone else he listened to. I've actually had the ambassadors in my office telling me that they have had concerns about um, what they have heard. Uh, and what the AWU has treated, tried to put out in the media, that, that this is some general problem right across the, the, the agricultural sector. This is an isolated issue. And like any industry, there is always a small, small cohort that try to cut corners. But we will get them. So when do the first workers get here and where are they coming from? Well, those, uh, Indonesia is the only country that wanted to identify themselves as being in those negotiations, so I have to respect the others that are taking place. So uh, we're hoping that um, the finalisation of that, with which Maurice Payne uh, is negotiating now, she's the minister responsible, uh, Maurice will hopefully be able to give us some good news in the coming couple of weeks that uh, one or two or three of those countries have signed up. Uh, so I can't give you that assurance, but we are now getting some clear air because we've told the AWU to bugger off. How many countries are you speaking to and are they only South East Asian countries? Yeah, there's four Southeast Asian countries that we're talking to. Indonesia is one of those. Uh, and we're making sure that we're giving them those assurances that while the, the sensationalism that the AWU is, is putting out there, that this is a, a vast problem across agriculture, we are, we are putting it in perspective that it is not. There is a small cohort. And that's why we've made sure that we're putting in place these regulations and laws and penalties to, to protect uh, their citizens if they choose to come here. Agriculture Minister David Littleproud speaking with Angus Furley. The Country Hour has contacted the AWU, the Australian Workers' Union, to see if they wanted to comment. We'll let you know if they get back to us. I would love to hear your thoughts on our text line, 0487 991057, about what the Minister was saying there, about why there aren't any rapid tests available in large parts of the country, and also the uh, the acts of the Australian Workers' Union in trying to get... Uh, 
some new programs set up with Southeast Asian countries to provide workers to Australian farms. Text me anytime, 0487991057. This is the Country Hours, three minutes to one o'clock. Before we go to the news, let's hear about a new fuel storage facility that, that work has begun on at East Arm near Darwin. It's a $270 million project that will hold up to 300 million litres of fuel that will be used for US Defence Force operations in the region. Sean Thomas from US company Crowley explains. Yeah, so this facility is going to be a forward-deployed strategic storage facility which will provide a a large volume of fuel in this part of the world and obviously it will be moving in and out uh, to vessels at the port as well as onto road tankers to go inland into places like Raft Darwin and Raft Tyndall. We will be constructing a a new pipeline and new new marine loading arms out on the berth uh, here at the port. And so the fuel will come in from, uh, from vessel tanker that will be provided by the U.S. government and it will be loaded through the pipeline into the, uh, into the tank farm here. There will be a truck loading gantry built here on site that will load AAA road trains and then it will go, go out to site via road train. Uh, additionally, it can go back out to vessel uh, if it needs to go back out to vessel and, and go offshore. Sean Thomas from Crowley, a U.S.-based global energy and logistics service. January 26, the ABC gives you the best seats in the house for a big night of celebrations with Australia Day Live from Sydney Opera House. A sensational lineup of music and entertainment featuring some of our biggest stars William Barton, Delta Goodrum, Casey Donovan, Isaiah Firebrace, and many more. And with spectacular fireworks, it's a concert for the country you won't want to miss. Australia Day Live, Wednesday, January 26, on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. G'day guys, I'm Billy. I'm a trap fisherman here in the Northern Territory and uh, we're today unloading our catch uh, from the last two weeks fishing out in the Kimberleys and you're listening to the Country Hour. Where it's almost time for the one o'clock news, but stick around, we will be getting the latest from the Weather Bureau. If you've got any questions, shoot me a text 0487 991057. There's been more good rainfall across the centre. It's pretty patchy, though. We'll be doing a whip around to find out where it's fallen. And we'll let you know which prominent Centralian cattleman was caught off guard by a little bit of running water. Yeah, we woke up last night, a little creek running past our bedroom window, which washed my thongs away, but (laughs) it was a surprise. The thongs are gone in the red centre with some of that rain. All of that and plenty more coming up on the Country Hour. Right now, though, let's go to the newsroom. It's one o'clock. Hello, my name is President Mary Ellen, and I'm from Samoa. I'm lo- I love mangoes. I love picking mangoes. I love to work here in Australia. You listen to uh, Country Hour. Hello there, my name is Stephen Schubert, filling in on the Country Hour for this week and next week. In a tick, we'll find out which Central Australian partialist lost his thongs when a creek started flowing at his place. Plenty of good rain around the Red Centre. And we will also bring you an amazing story of Cassie the Kelpie, who hitchhiked in a ute and a truck and has been found hundreds of kilometres away, safe and sound. 
we're just really relieved that she is okay. So she does have a little bit of recovery, obviously, because she has been through a bit of a traumatic experience, but it's clearly a miracle. Cassie the Kelpie survived three hours in the engine bay of a truck, but has gotten home safe and sound. Stick around, that that story's coming up on the Country Hour. Well, let's get the latest from the Weather Bureau. Rebecca Patrick is there for us today. Rebecca, I'm in Alice Springs. It feels a little bit more like the top end here today. It is muggy, it is grey, and it's just not raining. Will there be any relief for us on the horizon in the Red Centre? (laughs) Yeah, you really have kind of got that tropical weather that's been brought down um, from that system that moved across the Lassiter district the last few days. Um, So, yeah, seeing that humidity increasing uh, right now we are seeing a few showers popping up uh, just to the east of Alice that could develop into some thunderstorms, um, also a chance for Alice Springs as well this afternoon, um, uh, just to see how those um, clouds start to develop. There is a bit of a risk of severe thunderstorms um, developing as well, so yeah, it could be some damaging winds or potentially some heavier rainfall with um those storms as they develop so that would be the northern areas of the Simpson district and the southern parts of the the Barclay today. And there's still a uh, flood watch for the southwest of the territory? Um, we just cancelled that right now actually ah, so um, yeah we are um, seeing those uh, those conditions have eased. We've still got a bit of a circulation around the the Lassiter district but all that rainfall has um, moved south into South Australia um, and so yeah it's uh, definitely easing those conditions across the southwest of the the territory. So it sounds like it's going to remain pretty patchy uh, rainfall around the centre. What about further north? Looks like there's a lot of action on the Darwin radar at the moment. Yeah, um, we're just seeing some showers starting to form up in the in the Darwin area. Um, it has been fairly active offshore as well. Uh, seen a bit of a change in our weather pattern for the top end just um, just today, really. Um, so we have had that monsoonal conditions where we were seeing showers coming in off the water, but um, we're going turning a bit more around to um, build up type of conditions for the next few days um, where we see those showers and storms forming more during the afternoon and then um, moving towards the west so um, that's going to be the the type of pattern for the next couple of days across the top end Um, but yeah as you said um, we are seeing those showers starting to form up um, over the rural area of Darwin at the moment Um, and they could be forming some storms fairly shortly, I imagine. And this comes as the old monsoon trough keeps uh, weakening, but I was, Billy Lynch was telling us yesterday that there's a chance another monsoon trough could, um, could come in later in the week. What's happening there? Yeah, that's right. So um, later in the week, probably from around Thursday, we'll see that monsoon trough developing through the Arafura Sea, so north of north of our coast 
Um, and then depending what happens, there could be a, a low lurking around somewhere um, that might move further south and that could drag the monsoon trough over the north coast of the top end um, late in the weekend towards the weekend. Now, we know that there was an enormous volcanic eruption in Tonga um, earlier this week. What's going on? I'm in Alice Springs, but uh, the ash cloud's over the top end, is it? Yeah, it actually moved over um, eastern parts of the Territory late yesterday, so just before sunset. Um, I have seen some photos of people from like Gove and places like that who have captured some um, really nice cloud photos with the with some of that ash reflecting uh, the, the sunlight a bit. Um, and that's moved right across most of the territory, actually. If you if you can find a good high-resolution satellite imagery, um, you can see that volcanic ash has spread right across northern Australia, Queensland, Northern Territory. It's probably not too far from you in Alice Springs. It's um, looking like it's through the Barclay as well and over um, northern parts of Western Australia. So it's really quite a widespread mm area actually does that affect weather on the ground no it's it's quite a way up so it's about 13 to 15 kilometers up in the sky um so yeah we have advisories that um the bureau of meteorology is issuing but that's mainly for the aviation industry so that they can avoid those areas as they're flying around um, but in terms of any ash on the, the ground, that's um, not expected. It should stay up in the atmosphere. Mm, okay. Rebecca Patrick, anything else we should know about? Uh, no, I think that's the main thing. Just keep an eye out for um, any thunderstorm warnings that we may issue, um, particularly if you're down in the, those Simpson district and the Barclay district today. All right. Thank you so much for your time. No worries. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. That is Rebecca Patrick bringing us the latest from the Bureau of Meteorology. Hi, my name's Philomena. I'm from Acacia Hills Mango Farm and you're listening to The Country Hour. With me, Stephen Schubert, for the next week and a bit. Let's keep with the weather now and have a look around the centre where the rainfall has eased off a little bit after good falls in the last few days from ex-tropical cyclone Tiffany. Around the Alice Springs district, Mount Lloyd had 18 mils in the 24 hours to 9 o'clock. There were 12 mils recorded at the airport in Collier Creek. But the rain has been patchy. Wiggly Gorge, just north of town, had just one mil in that 24 hours. A little bit further afield, Hermansburg had 13. Up on the Barclay, Elliot had 10 mils, but Brunette Downs had just two in the rain gauge there. Angus McKay owns Umbiara Station, which is right down on the South Australian border, and he is very happy with what's fallen there. So we've had about 50 mils, 49.5 mils for the last sort of four nights. It started Saturday night with 11 mils and a few bits and pieces in between, then we had a good 35 mils last night, so no, very happy. What's that mean for um, your country, your feed? Yeah, it's going to keep things kicking along. We had 13 inches last year, so this is the first rain of this year, so it'll, it'll freshen the feed up again and maybe a bit of new, new growth will come up. Um, some of the parakelia will freshen back up again, so no, it's, it's good. 
And I understand there may have even been a little bit of moving water uh, near your place. Yeah, we woke up last night, a little creek running past our bedroom window, which washed my thongs away, but it's, <laughs> it was a surprise. Oh, no. <laughs> the thongs, ah. Yeah. I had to chuck my thongs on and check the rain gauge, and they already washed away, so... How often does that creek flow? Uh, a good heavy half inch. We'll get that little creek running through the house gardens here. But the uh, main homestead creek ran a pretty decent stream, which takes a good good inch to do that. What about uh, your neighbouring property that you also have, Idracara? What sort of rain has fallen yeah, there? Yeah, missed out a bit up there. They only had four mils last night. Um, had a half inch the night before. Um, but, yeah, we think there is more rain through the middle between the two homesteads, but I'm just going to go for a fly tomorrow. I won't really know what's happening out there. Ultimately, what does all this mean for the cattle on your property? How are they looking? Oh, the cattle are already looking really good, so this will just freshen them even further. The only issue we've got, we're supposed to start doing cattle work this week, but we'll have to delay that for a few weeks. But that's not a big problem. No one's going to stress about that too much. But now the cattle will respond well to this, and they'll, they'll, um, yeah, they'll be beautiful. I've never heard anyone complain about not being able to do cattle work because of a little bit of extra rain at this time of year, though. No, we certainly shouldn't. Angus McKay from Umbiara Station, right down on the SA border. A little bit closer to town here in Alice Springs is Andulia Station. They've received around 30 mils. Hugo Rickard-Bell spoke to owner Nicole Hayes. So um, it was quite a good good storm through the, through the night, actually. It came in and we had 33.6 mils. Uh, and then yesterday we had, um, which was Monday, was it? What day it was? Uh, <laughs> Monday we had um, about 1.4 sort of um, last night um, for some good scuds sort of around the area. And what's that sort of done uh, for the annual sort of rainfall average at the moment for you guys? Uh, well, we hadn't had anything um, in January up until until that point uh, on the 17th. So, so yeah, hopefully we, we get some more in it. Looking at the weather report, um, hopefully some in the end of the week, which um, will keep us going again. We're, we're a little bit nervous about fires at the moment. Uh, there's been a few around, Amberlindon, uh, Altonga, uh, and Loves Creek, um, also up sort of north, Yamber and Aileron and Bushy Park. So that's been something on the top of our mind. So we, we keep on going up. If there's storms around or lightning, we can see we, we'll go out up and look for a bit of smoke around or looking at the nasty site quite regularly at the moment so that mm. it's quite dry all the feed. What does 33 mils mean to you guys in the scheme of things? Hopefully it will, it will just see a little bit more green come through and then it, you know the fire won't uh, won't be able to sort of get hold quite as much. So, yeah, it's, it's not a lot yet, but hopefully we'll continue getting some. It sort of, it, it sort of stays off the, the fire for a little bit longer if we can keep on getting it. Um, hopefully it will sort of take us through to when it gets cooler and then the risk is probably not quite as high. But it's one of those things. We, yeah, we'll, we'll take whatever we can get, and um, it, it needed um, it needed freshening up because it was very dry. Nicole Hayes from Andulia Station speaking to Hugo Rickard Bell. You are listening to the Country Hour. It's seventeen minutes past one o'clock. You're with me, Stephen Schubert, for this week. Stick around. We will bring you the amazing survival story of Cassie the Kelpie. After this, from Powderfinger. Powderfinger on the Country Hour. You're tuned to ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. It's 21 minutes past one o'clock. My name's Stephen Schubert. 
How does a dog survive a 250-kilometre trip in the engine bay of a truck? That's a question that has dumbfounded mechanics in Melbourne on Friday when they went to service a truck that had just arrived in the workshop after stopping overnight in Glen Thompson in southwest Victoria. Rural reporter Angus Verley spoke with Roman Cruz from K&S Freighters about the extraordinary story of survival. Yeah, so the driver has his um, break pretty much at Glen Thompson. Um, so he has a 10-hour break and um, he needs to go, yeah, in the morning he goes to K&S Freighters to get uh, the truck service. And, um, yeah, so he said he pulled over and he actually thought that in the middle of the night that somebody was trying to steal his ad blue. But he didn't really bother because it's all locked up. And then that, that's it. He went, he drove all the way to KNS and we serviced the truck pretty much from straight away. And we found the dog as we tilted the cab over. Right. So so he heard a noise when he was pulled over at Glen Thompson. Thought, yeah. it, thought it was someone stealing his ad blue, but yeah. it turns out it was actually a dog um, climbing up into the engine bay. Yeah, yeah. The the dog actually climbed off the engine. That's what we believe what happened. So he reckons that it came in from Glenn Thompson. Now, fortunately, this story has a happy ending, Roman, but you would think that if a dog had travelled in the engine bay of a truck all the way from Glenn Thompson to Melbourne, that, that it wouldn't have survived. No, not at all. We've seen a lot of dead birds and, you know, alive birds, like, but then they never make it. So to, for a dog to survive, it's very, very rare. And what condition was the dog in when you did to tip the cab up and, and find it? So when when the boys from the service bay boys tilted the cab over, they found the dog happy as anything. He was wagging his tail. Um, they got him down straight away and he started walking. Um, we lead him to the air-conditioned room. Obviously, it was a hot day that day and on Friday. And um, we gave him four bowls of water and it was happy as anything. It was walking around. We took it for a walk around the yard because it's a big yard. And, yeah, just went to wee and everything. It looked fine to me, and like, like nothing happened. Roman Cruz from K&S Freighters speaking there. Farmer Sally Wills travelled down from Streatham in regional Victoria on Monday to pick up Cassie. She told Angus Furley her husband and four sons are over the moon to have their beloved Kelpie home again. I just can't believe it. We are just absolutely gobsmacked. So, and we're just so grateful you know, with K&S freighters. So we're just really relieved that she is okay. So she does have a little bit of recovery, obviously, because she has been through a bit of a traumatic experience, but it's clearly a miracle. Unbelievable. And I think, Sally, you got the call yesterday from the Lost Dogs Home in North Melbourne. Uh, I guess how distraught were you to that point and what was the reaction when the call came through? Well, we just couldn't believe it, like hearing the story, but clearly we were, um, you know, so relieved just to hear that Cassie was okay. So, because um, we were obviously um, a bit, you know, stressed, obviously, for a few days. So, um, but also too, it doesn't surprise us at all. You know, Cassie's an amazing dog. She's a real fighter and, you know, she's tough as well as a real lady, uh, little Cassie. So, um yeah, and she was in great condition too, which I think really helped her as well with her journey. Hearing you talk so fondly about her, she's obviously she's a working dog, a uh, vital part of the farm, but uh, more than more than just a, a, an asset, I suppose. Oh, uh, absolutely! Look, our dogs are pretty spoiled, 
we had one Kelpie who um, died not long ago, just through old age. But so now um, we've got Cassie and um, one of our employees has some dogs. But we've got our Labrador and our um, little Jack Russell. But Cassie's always ruled the roost with whatever dog comes along. And Sally, I should point out too that your, you live your farm where, where Cassie was. That's quite away from Glen Thompson. Yeah, so exactly. So one of our um, contractors, or Billy, he got into his uh, land cruiser that night at about 1am in the morning and he went back to home in um, Glen Thompson because so it was because of the storm. She got scared and she um, jumped either on the back of his ute or underneath his um, car on top of the fuel tank and got back there and that's how, he got, how Cassie got to Glen Thompson. So that's a story in itself. So, um, and then, yeah, but we're just so grateful that she's okay. So, um, yeah, it is actually a great, a, a really good news story for a change, Angus. So she sort of had a two-part journey, both with similar modes of transport then? Oh, it's absolutely massive. Can't believe it. It's, um, yeah, a real good country story, that's for sure. And she's just such a beautiful dog. But we're just so grateful, obviously, to uh, the Lost Dogs Home, to Sinead and uh, Dr Lou there and, um, you know, all the team there. But... Um, and also to obviously, um, you know, Ararat Vet, who will continue the care for Cassie if uh, if needed. So it's it's a really good news story. And that's right. She's in getting checkups at the moment, isn't she? But but she seems fine. Oh yeah, she should be fine. It's just a routine checkup, I suppose. You know, with burns, as we all know, with burns, that after a few days they kind of in a way get worse well not worse but do you know what I mean just with infection and all that sort of stuff and hopefully she makes a full recovery Stratham farmer Sally Wills speaking with Angus Verley. Tell you what, that story makes me want to go home and pat my dog make sure she's not hitching a ride anywhere while the country hour's on Time now to check in on the cattle markets. Sam Hart has the details from the Roma store sale. Good afternoon, Amy. Numbers almost doubled to 5,372 at Roma this week. The majority of the yarding was made up of local yearling steers, 280 to 400 kilos. A large gallery of restocker buyers pushed medium weight feeder cattle along, with most medium weights lifting 10 to 15 cents. Steers were still selling at the time of this interim report. Limited numbers of lightweight restocker steers were on offer and were mixed in quality, topping at 818.2. Restocker steers 283, 30 kilos, sold to 784.2 to average around 735. Medium feeder steers 330 to 400 kilos, returning to the paddock, sold to an isolated 714.2, with most medium feeders selling from 600 to 650 cents. Heavy feeder steers sold to 600.2 to average around 540 cents, while heavy ground steers also lifted 10 cents, selling to 434.2 to average 420. This has been Sam Half, the National Livestock Reporting Service. Thanks, Sam. And as we heard in our top story today, feeder steers ex-Darwin to Indonesia are fetching over five bucks a kilo. That is record money for the live export trade. Catherine Livestock agent Wayne Bean was asked if he thinks prices will go any higher. This is what he said. Well, um, we don't know. Um, it's as good as it, it gets. And when it's this good, you don't tend to worry too much about that. Um, I mean, like I said earlier, uh, between you know the, the weeks between the middle of December and through to the end of February is always predominantly our highest market anyway. 
So there, there could be a little bit of scope there. Um, you know, it just comes back to supply and demand, and 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 certainly the demand's there and the supply's not. So there's a chance it could go a little bit further north yet. Well, that is all we have time for on the Country Hour. Don't forget, if you've missed anything or just want to load up some podcasts for your, your next long drive across the Territory, we put every show up as a podcast. You can just find it wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks very much for your company. My name's Stephen Schubert. I'll be bringing you the Country Hour for the rest of this week and next week from our Alice Springs studios. We'd love to hear from you on our text line 0487 991057 at any time. Hope you have yourself a good afternoon. I'll talk to you again tomorrow.